So, as Keith said, we are continuing in our series on Galatians today. This is actually our seventh week in this book, and we are more than halfway through. We're getting close to the end. Uh, if you want to follow along in your own Bible, we're going to pick up where we left off in chapter 4, verse 21. Chapter 4, verse 21. I see a couple of faces here um, that we haven't seen in a while, or at least half of your faces. So, welcome. It's good to see you. And uh, I just want to encourage you guys. I've been in contact with some of the UConn students that we haven't seen since they left campus a year and a half ago. And I've heard from about 10 of them saying that they plan on being here uh, this semester. So that's good news. Uh, when they start showing up over the next couple weeks, I encourage you to go out of your way to make them feel welcome. So I was just so happy that, you know, after being disconnected for so long, they, they do have every intention of coming back. At least that's what, that's what they're saying. So um, hopefully that will happen. Uh, Campus Crusade, or excuse me, Crew, that's what they're called now, they have a kickoff weekend um, this week, so many of them are at that right now, and, um, but hopefully in coming weeks we'll get to see them. So, um, if you've been with us at all throughout this series, you know the gist of what Galatians is all about. Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote it because some false teachers had infiltrated the church, and what they were saying was that if you're going to be a true follower of Jesus, if you're going to belong to the family of God, you have to follow all of the Mosaic Law. Uh, so for men, that meant being circumcised, uh, regardless of what age you were. Uh, it meant following all the dietary laws, avoiding pork, avoiding shellfish, not wearing blended fabrics. Men, you got to cut your facial hair in a certain way, and much, much more. And Paul wrote Galatians to say, no. Because of what Jesus has done, we are no longer under the law. We are free from the law. And... Uh, he, he wrote Galatians to persuade the church of that. And throughout the series, we've been looking at all the various arguments that Paul has been making to defend his position. And the passage that we're going to look at today starts with him making one more argument. And I just want to warn you guys, this is probably the most confusing, uh, difficult argument to explain in the whole book. Uh, I'm still trying to figure it out myself. And I don't want to spend all of our time this morning trying to pick it apart and make sense of it, because we could spend all of our time doing that. And honestly, I don't think that we all need to be convinced of it, right? Because throughout this series, I have not been getting emails from you guys saying, no, 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 we have to make sure all the men in the church are circumcised, and we have to avoid pork and shellfish and all that sort of thing. No, you haven't been saying that to me, so I trust that you are in agreement with what Paul is saying. So we, we're in agreement with the conclusion of his argument. We don't have to fully understand every aspect of the case that he's making. However, I do still want us to look at the argument because there's something that Paul says in it that helps us to understand what a healthy faith looks like. And actually, that's the lens that I want us to look through this whole passage through which is, what are the characteristics of a healthy Christian faith? That's really what, what we're going to be looking at. Four characteristics of healthy Christian faith. And uh, this confusing argument that Paul starts off with gives us the first one. So, uh, let's read that, that part uh, of the passage. Before we get into it, let me say a quick prayer. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. Uh, We thank you for these scriptures, and we pray that you would open us up to be able to receive whatever it is that you want to tell us. Help us to listen. Help us to be attentive. Help us to trust that through these words, you can transform our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Galatians 4.21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, Are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. All right, so if you're lost, don't feel bad. Totally understand. So what Paul is doing here is he's recalling a story from the very first book of the Bible, from the book of Genesis. It's a story from the life of Abraham. And you might know that Abraham is considered to be the father of the Jewish nation. And what happened with Abraham was when he was 75 years old, God spoke to him in a powerful way. And God said, you are going to have descendants. Even though your wife is old and barren, even though you are old, you're going to have descendants. Your descendants are going to outnumber the stars in the sky. And through you is going to come a great nation. And then that great nation is going to go on to bless all the nations of the world. So that was the promise that Abraham was given. But years passed and still Abraham had no descendants. And so Abraham and Sarah decided we have to do something else. And Sarah said, well, why don't you try to have a child through my servant, Hagar? Sarah had a servant from from Egypt. And Abraham said, okay. And so Abraham and Hagar had a son that they named Ishmael. But several years later, God came through on that promise. And when Sarah was 90 years old, she gave birth to Isaac. And Isaac was the child through whom the nation of Israel came. Now, what Paul is saying is that we can think of Hagar and Sarah like symbols. And Hagar represents the Mosaic law, and Sarah represents the gospel of Jesus. Uh, Hagar represents the old covenant, the, the law, and Sarah represents the new covenant. Hagar represents being in slavery. Sarah represents freedom. Hagar represents life under the law. Sarah represents life under the spirit. Now, I want to be clear about something, because um, if if we take this the wrong way, it can be a little offensive. I don't think that Paul is saying anything about the moral quality of Hagar or Sarah as individuals. I don't think he's passing any judgment on whether one is good and the other is bad. He's he's saying you want to think of these women as symbols, right? He says, take it figuratively. It's it's an analogy. Um, And he's saying they represent two different ways of getting things done. Two different ways of bearing life. 
right? In Sarah's case, her son was born because God worked a miracle, right? God made a promise, and then God fulfilled that promise. Human beings couldn't fulfill that promise, right? God did it, okay? But in Hagar's case, her son was born. Why? Because Abraham and Sarah stopped trusting in God, they took matters into their own hands, right? And they did things their own way. And Paul is saying, okay, when we rely on the Mosaic law to save us, we're trying to get things done in our own way. We're trying to bear life in our lives in our own way. It's like trying to have a son through Hagar. It's not the right way to do it. But when we rely on Jesus to save us, we're trusting God to do what we cannot do. And that is what Abraham and Sarah should have done. Hopefully that makes sense. I realize it's kind of confusing, uh, but that's the big idea here. And so that brings me to the first characteristic of healthy Christian faith that I want to emphasize this morning, which is that healthy Christian faith trusts in God's promises. It trusts in God's promises. Okay? A healthy faith does not think, it is on me to overcome the guilt of sin in my life and the forces of death. That's all on me. That's not a healthy faith, right? A healthy, fa a healthy faith says, I cannot do this in my own strength, in my own power. I cannot overcome the forces of sin and death in my life. And that is why I'm trusting Jesus to do that on my behalf. There is a point that we are all supposed to reach in our journey of faith where we realize, I am no more capable of saving myself from sin and death than a 90-year-old woman is capable of bearing a child. That's, again, that's how old Sarah was when she had Isaac. So, that's the big idea there. We're supposed to trust in God's promises. We're supposed to recognize we can't do it on our own. And rather than trying to take matters into our own hands and save ourselves, we trust in Jesus. Healthy characteristic of faith number one. All right, so Paul says more in this chapter about the Hagar and uh, and uh, Sarah stuff. We're going to skip over that, move on to chapter 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. So again, Paul is saying, if you start trusting in these sorts of rituals to rescue you from sin and death and to make you acceptable to God, you are down, you're going down a dangerous path. It doesn't work. It is like trying to have a son through Hagar when Abraham and Sarah did that. It is the wrong way to go. And if you try to earn God's acceptance by doing things like getting circumcised, you're going to have to try and obey the entire law. And nobody can pull that off. Right? Okay. So, second characteristic of healthy faith. Freedom. It's characterized by freedom. I love that line. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. I love how the way he puts that, it's like he's saying there's just something inherently valuable about the experience of freedom. Why has God set us free? 
so that we can be free. God wants us to be in this state of freedom. Now, that raises the question, okay, well, what exactly is freedom? What is it? You know, throughout this series, I have used this image to represent the book of Galatians. Uh, it's an image of a cage with a bird inside of it, and the door of the cage is opened. And I, I like that. I think that's a good image of, of Galatians, right? Because it's an image of freedom. The bird is free to leave the cage, and what's a better picture of freedom than a bird spreading its wings and flying, right? It's a great, great picture of freedom. Now, you might say, with that image in mind, okay, what is freedom? Freedom is the removal of boundaries, right? That's what you might say, right? The boundary of the cage has been removed. But I don't think that's a great definition of freedom because what if this was a picture of an aquarium with fish in it and there was a hole in the aquarium? That would be the removal of a boundary, right? But that wouldn't really lead to freedom for the fish, right? It would lead to death. So freedom can't just be understood as the removal of boundaries. That's, that's not the right definition. Why? is the removal of a bird from a cage freedom, but the removal of a fish from an aquarium not freedom? Well, the answer's simple, right? It's because a bird is meant to fly, and a fish is meant to swim. So freedom is becoming what we are meant to be, right? And what are we meant to be? We are meant to be what God intends for us to be. So. First principle of what freedom is. Freedom is to be what God intends for you to be. And that is the state that Christ wants to bring us into, right? The freedom to be what we're meant to be, truly meant to be. Now, what does God intend for us? Well, one thing that we learn from Galatians is that what God intends for us is to not be under the Mosaic Law. That's part of what it means for us to be free. The Mosaic Law had a purpose, but it was a temporary purpose, uh, you might remember in a previous week that Paul compares the, the law to being like a babysitter. A babysitter for the people of God. And it is appropriate at certain times in your development to have a babysitter, right? But at a certain point, it becomes inappropriate to have a babysitter. And what Paul has been saying is that because of what Jesus has done, because he has given us the Holy Spirit, we have, as the people of God, a maturity available to us that makes the babysitter of the law unnecessary now. Okay? So we are now free from the law. That is part of what God intends for us, to be free from that Mosaic law. Another part of what God intends for us is freedom from sin. To be free from sin, you know... Often we tend to think that what it means to be free is just to be able to do whatever we want, which, let's face it, often we want to do sinful things. So real freedom just means being able to sin freely. But again, if real freedom is doing what God intends for us to do, that can't be real freedom. That's the kind of freedom of the fish jumping out of the aquarium and flopping around on dry ground, right? It's not, it's not true freedom. You know, it's just like any alcoholic will be able to tell you that real freedom is not being able to drink as much as they desire. Real freedom is being able to choose to drink less 
than they desire, right? So God wants to give us the ability to be self-controlled rather than impulse-controlled. That's true freedom. Another part of true freedom is being able to become the individual person that God intends for us to be. I know earlier I said freedom is being what God intends for you to be, and I'm thinking of that more in general terms. But you as an individual, God has specific plans for you, and true freedom is discovering what those plans are. You know, in another one of Paul's letters in Corinthians, he talks about how each one of us is gifted in certain ways. We have certain talents, certain abilities, certain roles that God wants us to fulfill. And when we live into those things, we bless the whole church community. And we can bless the entire world, um, you know, through, through living into our calling. So true freedom, one way of putting it, is discovering our calling and feeling God's smile as we pursue it. Discovering our calling and feeling God's smile as we pursue it. Maybe you feel like, man, I have no idea what I'm really made to do. Um, there are different resources out there that can help you to discover what God might be calling you to do. Uh, one resource that we use as a church is the Strength Finders test. Has anyone ever done that? The Strength Finders? A few hands? Okay. Obviously, you know, the Strength Finders is not sacred, right? But I think it's a great tool. Uh, I've used it myself. And you take it. It takes about 30 minutes to take it. And then out of a list of 34 different strengths, it tells you which ones are your top five. Uh, and if you were interested in taking that test, we as a church offer you the opportunity to take it for free. We'll pay for you to take it as long as you sit down with Keith and I later just to go through the results uh, so we can help you to process those. Um, if you're interested in that, let me know. Email me or talk to me after service. I uh, would love to do that. Um, because we want to help you to do that because part of true freedom, part of the freedom that is supposed to characterize your faith is living into the calling God has for you. Okay, and that means discovering what he's made you to do. So, all right. And finally, one last part of true freedom is not being controlled by fear. Not being controlled by fear. When we have a healthy faith in Christ, we're free from fear because he reassures us that our God is our Father. Right? That God is a loving parent. We talked about this in a previous message. Right? Paul says that the Holy Spirit that God sends to us cries out, Abba, Father. Okay, Abba was the, the address that someone would use for their, for their earthly father. Right? And so Jesus was saying, you need, or Paul was saying, that through the Spirit we come to see God as a loving parent. And when we understand the creator of the universe to be a loving parent to us that drives out fear from our lives, right? And it frees us to live abundantly, to live joyfully, uh, to live fully. All right, let's keep reading in verse 4. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. 
For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So third quality of a healthy Christian faith is love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. How do you think that your faith in Christ is supposed to express itself in the world? The Galatians thought that the way that their faith should express itself is by the men making sure that they get circumcised, by making sure they follow all the rules and regulations in the Mosaic Law. Most of us don't think that way today. Um, you know, but we might think, well, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through believing all the right things. You know, if you can make a list of all the right beliefs, write them down, write truth, truth propositions and assent to them. That's what really counts. That's, what, that's real faith. You know, or some of us might think, you know, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through voting for the right political party. The only thing, the only uh, faith that counts is uh, when it expresses itself by hating the right people or being angry about the right things. But Paul says what really counts is faith expressing itself through love. And to tie this in with the last characteristic of healthy faith, to be free is to be what God intends us to be. And what God intends for us to be is people of love. Right? To be free is to love. Now, like with that word freedom, we have to ask, well, what is love? What really is it? And you might be familiar with Paul has a description of love. It's a very famous passage of scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, beautiful passage. Love is patient, love is kind, etc., etc. The gist of Paul's description of love is this. Love is the desire, the commitment to blessing someone else. That's what it is. I mean, I think we all kind of know deep down what love is, but it can be hard to give words to it. Love is, is the desire to see someone be truly free, to be truly alive, flourishing, right? Love is the desire to see people experience joy and peace and to become everything that God intends for them to be. That's what love is. And real faith, the kind of faith that matters, expresses itself in that kind of love, that disposition. Love in our words, love in our thoughts, Love in our actions. If our faith is in Christ, love should be the theme of our lives. You know, because Christ has shown us incredible love, right? Through Christ, God humbled himself radically, came from heaven, put on human flesh, and then suffered and died this miserable, horrible death on a cross for our sake, right? So if that's the one that our faith is in, then of course our faith should be expressing itself through love. Because Christ loved. Christ loves. You know, sometimes I think that we prefer to have our, our faith expressed through, through rules and regulations because actually loving people is hard. It's harder than following just a, a set of, of rules. Right? You know, it's... Uh, 
It sounds sweet in principle, love people, but people can be really annoying, really difficult. And so it can feel easier just to measure our faith by whether we assent to the right ideas or avoid naughty words or something like that. But the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You know, sometimes I hear people say, oh, the church these days, it just emphasizes love too much. But then I see a verse like that, and I think, maybe we still don't emphasize it enough. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. All right, let's read a little bit more. We're almost done. Verse 7. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Paul's saying a little bit of false teaching can really mess things up. Okay, so these, these false teachers telling you you've got to follow the Mosaic law, their influence can go far and do a lot of damage. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Paul's opponents were saying, oh, he's saying the same thing as us. He's preaching circumcision too. Paul's like, no, I'm not. I'm being persecuted for saying that circumcision isn't necessary, right? He says, in that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. And if you're thinking, did he just say what I think he said? You're right. <laughs> right? He's talking about the people who are saying that circumcision is essential to be part of the family of God. He's saying, I wish they'd go the whole way and cut it all off. And I don't know about you, but I appreciate that Paul says this right after saying the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Because that suggests to me that Love doesn't mean we can't ever have a biting sense of humor. <laughs> you know, that there's a place sometimes for those kinds of comments. At the right time, right, right context, it's okay. Sometimes it's okay. You know, I suspect that if Paul's opponents read that, they would probably see humor in it. You know, they might not like it, but they might laugh a little too. But anyway, what I really want us to notice here is one final characteristic of healthy faith, which is persistence. Notice Paul describes faith as running a race. He says, who cut in, who cut in on you on, on this race? And of course, running a race takes discipline, right? It takes persistence. And the life of following Jesus, of holding to the gospel, it does take persistence. Now, you might say, well, what, does it really? I mean, we're called to trust in God's promises rather than trusting in ourselves. That shouldn't take much effort. Actually, it does. It does take effort. If it didn't take effort, then Abraham and Sarah wouldn't have tried to take things into their own hands and have a child through Hagar, right? It's hard to trust God. We waver in that all the time. Sometimes choosing to trust God is going to feel like putting in effort, running a race, Right? Living in freedom, that's not easy either. Sometimes the cage is more comfortable than flying. 
Right? Sometimes we prefer our addictions and our chains. Being free takes work. And, as we already acknowledged, being a person of love, that can feel like running a race for sure. Right? People are difficult. Our natural desire is just to focus on ourselves you know, and look at people as kind of like products to be used for whatever we want. Right? That's a very natural way of thinking. It takes work. It takes discipline to love. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, the power is available to us to run that race. And so I just want to encourage us this morning, keep running the race. Keep trusting in God. Keep pursuing freedom. Right? Keep loving. Persist. Don't give up. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these reminders of what faith looks like, what it's supposed to look like. And I, Lord, I pray that this wouldn't all just be abstract for us, Lord, but uh, that it would be uh, how we live. Lord, transform our minds, transform our hearts so they reflect more and more of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.